Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Just back, me, that is, from, I don't know where you're back from, uh, from Glasgow. Not Glasgow. Glasgow. Uh, which I learned during my brief stay there had been voted, don't ask me by whom, the friendliest city in Europe. Imagine that. Uh, I was also advised that in the same plebiscitary function, uh, Glasgow, Glasgow, see, I did it now, because I'm I'm going yank on me. Glasgow was voted the most violent city in Europe. Recognize that pattern? I do. Ladies and gentlemen, what's up with our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia? Well, the Swedish government fresh from announcing that they finally decided that they will question. It is okay to question Julian Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy. He doesn't have, in London, he doesn't have to come to Sweden after all, after three years. But that's not all they decided this week. They decided to scrap an arms deal with Saudi Arabia, bringing to an end a decade-long defense agreement with the kingdom. Move followed complaints made by the Swedish foreign minister, Margot Wallström, that she was blocked by the Saudis from speaking about democracy and women's rights at a gathering of the Arab League in Cairo. What was she doing there? She's not Arab. She's a blonde. I'm assuming tensions between Stockholm and Riyadh have grown so acute, reports the British newspaper The Independent, that Saudi Arabia recalled its ambassador to Sweden on Wednesday. The Swedish foreign ministry, you see, had published Wallström's planned remarks in Cairo. She made no specific reference to Saudi Arabia, not knocking the kingdom, but did urge reform on issues of women's rights. The Saudi foreign ministry saw right through the failure to mention them, deeming the statement offensive and blatant interference in in its internal affairs. Touchy? Sensitive? Saudi Arabia bought some $39 million in Swedish military equipment last year alone. The kingdom is recently, as of recently, the world's biggest arms importer, Saudi Arabia. The world's biggest. It's a dangerous neighborhood. For decades, uh, that sort of thing wouldn't happen. This shows a break in the 50-year view in the the view of the West that we can't touch Saudi Arabia, said Ali Al-Ahmed, director of the Washington-based Institute of Gulf Affairs, which is often critical of Saudi Arabia. That's why he's living in Washington. And a founding member of one of the few independent human rights groups in Saudi Arabia has been sentenced. Sentenced? He founded a human rights group. Sentenced, I said, to 10 years in prison. Mohammed al-Bajadi was sentenced by the specialized criminal court in Riyadh, whose jurisdiction is related to terrorism, according to the Gulf Center for Human Rights. He is a founder of the Association for Civil and Political Rights, which is offices in Beirut and Copenhagen, the court sentenced him to, uh, to ordered him to serve the first five years of his sentence, suspending the last five years. He was tried without prior notification or access to lawyers. Just a little trial. Happened while he was sleeping, I guess. Bajadi faced accusations including acquiring banned books, organizing a protest by the families of prisoners, and publishing material that could, quote, Prejudice, public order. You got to have you got to have public order if you're a kingdom. 
on uh, this week, Saudi Arabia hit out at criticism of its judiciary, saying it does not accept any form of interference in its internal affairs. Foreign Ministry says the country's constitution is based on Sharia that guarantees human rights. This is the country that uh, sentenced a blogger to a thousand lashes for insulting Islam and uh, holds trials without prior notice or uh, access to lawyers because that's a human right to not have to have access to your lawyer. A lot of people don't know that. It is our freedom-loving friend, ladies and gentlemen, Saudi Arabia. Hello, welcome to the show. Fill her up. From London, England, where they don't speak that language, 
I, and but it's the friendliest city in London. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we're we're participants, all of us, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, in a, a grand experiment going back, well, the last couple of generations, and going forward, goodness knows how long. Uh, an, a grand experiment, I say, just to figure out how many disparate and uh, uh, Chemicals that never existed before man started fiddling with chemicals can the human body tolerate in uh, in successive and uh, mixed doses. It's just an interesting experiment we're living through. One of the uh, signs of all this, exposure to hormone-disrupting chemicals is likely leading to an increased risk of serious health problems costing at least $175 billion per year in Europe alone. Well, don't go to Europe alone. This according to a study published Thursday. The news of it is in the National Geographic magazine. I get it. I, I read it for the covers. Chemicals that can mimic or block estrogen or other hormones are commonly found in thousands of products around the world. Your plastics, your pesticides, your furniture, and your cosmetics. The new research estimated healthcare costs in Europe where policymakers are debating whether to enact the world's first regulations targeting endocrine disruptors. It was Europeans were their nanny state. The European Union's controversial strategy, if approved, would have a profound effect on industries and consumer products worldwide. Linda Birnbaum, the leading environmental health official in the U.S. government, called the new findings a wake-up call for policymakers and health experts. The researchers detailed the cost related to three types of conditions. Neurological effects, <laughs> such as attention deficit disorders, obesity and diabetes, and male, uh-oh, male reproductive disorders, including infertility. The biggest estimated costs were associated with chemicals reported effects on children's developing brains. What is wrong with those kids? Numerous studies have linked widely used pesticides and flame retardants to neurological disorders and altered thyroid hormones, which are essential for proper prenatal brain development. The researchers concluded there was a greater than 99% chance that endocrine-disrupting chemicals are contributing to the diseases, according to studies published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. It's junk science. It's junk science. Your fetus is fine as long as you leave it alone. The estimate was limited to a handful of chemicals commonly found in human bodies, bisphenol A used in hard plastics, food can linings, and paper receipts, to phthalates used as plasticizers in vinyl products, DDE, the breakdown product of DDT, organophosphate pesticides, including ones used on grain, fruit, and other crops, and brominated flame retardants, they were extensively used in furniture foams until they were banned. Now they're not so extensively used. The BPA, DDE, and the phthalates were examined for their links to obesity and diabetes phthalates for male reproductive effects and flame retardants and organophosphate pesticides for neurological effects. Together, these represent only about 5% of endocrine disruptors that are circulating in our environmental soup. The tip of the proverbial iceberg, says Leonardo Trasande, an associate professor of pediatrics and environmental, environmental medicine at NYU. He was the lead author of this study. But 
that's not all. And for the rest, let me read the trades for you. From the Pharmaceutical Journal. How the pharmaceutical industry is contributing to antimicrobial resistance. And they're the good guys, right? I'll read it for you. P.S. There are no good guys. Medicines like antibiotics are uh, save countless lives and improve the safety of critical medical procedures. It's sometimes easy to forget that the off-maligned pharmaceutical industry produces them and should be highly regarded for this invaluable contribution. However, the industry is also complicit in one of the greatest challenges to society, the threat posed by antibiotic resistance. The major focus of public efforts is aimed at the right prescription and use of antibiotics by doctors, pharmacists, and patients. Although this is important, there's a more imminent issue that producers of environment of antibiotics must address, environmental pollution. In 2009, researchers from the University of Gothenburg found rivers near Hyderabad, India, which happens to be one of India's pharmaceutical centers, with concentrations of antibiotics in the rivers higher than the blood of a patient undergoing treatment. Most antibiotics are manufactured in China and India. India in turn relies on China for up to 90% of its raw materials. The threat of antibiotic resistance is well known. And on the political agenda, the World Health Organization is named Antimicrobial Resistance, AMR. It's got, it's got an acronym already. One of the top threats to mankind. About 25,000 patients die each year from an infection of multidrug-resistant bacteria. This is likely to be much worse in developing countries. There are outstanding examples of compliant manufacturers in both India and China. Unfortunately, there are also production plants that have serious compliance and quality problems with some potentially fatal consequences. For example, November last year, 13 women died after receiving tainted ciprofloxacin. Cipro, that's why they call it Cipro. Commonly prescribed antibiotic in India after going, uh, undergoing sterilization surgery. Pharmaceutical product recalls and forced factory closures regularly make the news. As recently as December, an investigative report on China television featured a segment on antibiotics found in the municipal water supply of Chinese cities. Two antibiotics producers had been illegally discharging wastewater containing high concentrations of antibiotics, making it unsafe to drink. There are countless examples of non-compliance, including factories using decades-old technology to produce and to treat their waste and dumping untreated wastewater and antibiotics into the environment. Better market regulation and stopping the sale of antibiotics over the counter, as is the case in India and China, would help reduce misuse. Industry needs to promote the prudent use of antibiotics. Pharma needs to be involved in the public debate around its products. The industry also needs to start self-regulation, says the Pharmaceutical Journal. 
It is in the interest of drug manufacturers to adhere to high standards and request high standards from suppliers to make sure their medicines are of the highest quality. This is a clear economic incentive. The pharmaceutical industry has had its share of bad publicity in recent years, including the lack of transparency with clinical trial data. But it has an opportunity to make a difference by joining the fight to combat AMR, not contribute to it. Their waste stuff includes residue of antibiotics in the water supply. That sounds so so foreign, doesn't it? Point of view that might occur to you when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. But on the other hand, we've got the Well, how about California? That's a progressive place, isn't it? Its Division of Oil, Gas, and Geothermal Resources officials admitted last summer that for years they inadvertently allowed oil companies to inject wastewater from fracking into hundreds of disposal wells in protected aquifers in violation of federal law. Disclosures by oil drillers showed high levels of benzene, a carcinogen, in the water that comes out of the ground with oil. The state has shut down 23 of the hundreds of injection wells that are in aquifers, not approved for waste injection. Agency officials have attributed the errors to haphazard record-keeping, you know, like you do, and antiquated data collection. And they've said that initial tests on nine drinking water supply wells found no benzene. The federal EPA has called the state's errors shocking. They haven't been paying attention and said California's oil field wastewater injection program does not comply with federal safe water drinking laws. That's from the L.A. Times from the EcoWatch blog. California is currently the only state that requires chemical testing of fracking wastewater and public disclosure of the findings. Uh, And so those findings are a bit disturbing. The Environmental Working Group has completed an analysis of data released by the state during the first year of reporting requirements, finding that high levels of that that old carcinogen benzene in California's fracking wastewater isn't the only thing Californians have to worry about from the state's extensive oil and gas fracking operations and the ejection of chemical-laden wastewater back into the ground. Drilling sites in Kern County, a fracking hub. Congratulations, Kern County. Didn't know you, I didn't know you were a hub of anything. No, you were a hub of country music. Those drilling sites have been shut down after they were forced or found to have illegally dumped wastewater into fracking, sorry, into drinking supplies. The study, Toxic Stew, revealed the presence of hundreds of chemicals, including many linked to cancer. I'd like to find a list of the chemicals that aren't including many linked to cancer, nervous system damage, and reproductive disorders. Among the chemicals found in up to 50% of these samples were chromium-6, lead, and arsenic. Arsenic? That can't hurt you. No, they're all linked to cancer and reproductive damage. These samples also contain thousands of times more radioactive radium, radium, 
than the goals set by the state. It's just like eating watch dials. It can't hurt you. Along with high levels of nitrate and chloride ions. Another analysis last month by the Center for Biological Diversity found that 98% of the fracking wastewater samples exceeded federal and state water safety levels for benzene. We've long suspected California's fracking wastewater was full of harmful chemicals. And now this study reveals just how toxic this wastewater is, said the senior scientist of the Environmental Working Group. Almost 3 billion gallons of fracking wastewater was illegally dumped last year into Central California aquifers, leading to the shutdown of those wells in Kern County. What the frack? Maybe, Maybe just don't waste water? No, you can't. You have to. You have to. Yeah, it's, I know. It's a, it's a thing. What the frack, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's, let's look on the brighter side with news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr., Well, you know, even the Olympics are trying to um, young up their demographics. And as uh, silly as it seems, when you find uh, news anchors tweeting, doing other stuff to try to reach young viewers who couldn't care less, the Olympics retains its dignity. All young visitors to the Tokyo Olympics in 2020, this is from the Japan Times, will be encouraged to get tattoos from on-site tattoo dens that will be doing tattoos of favorite anime and manga characters. Special arrangements will allow ardent sports fans to touch the hands of their favorite athletes just after they've received their medals. By the way, the main sponsor of the Tokyo Olympics is TEPCO. You know, from the Fukushima disaster, that TEPCO, whose slogan is, giving our Olympic athletes the energy they need. But wait. There's more. The organizers' goal for Tokyo is to achieve a warm and cuddly games. Hug fests among competitors like those seen in the women's snowboard competitions at Sochi, will be mandatory. All competitors, regardless of sexual orientation, will hug their teammates before and after each performance. For spectators, flash mob hug sessions are encouraged. I just want to hug Tepco, me. News of the Olympic movement, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. It's uh, the excitement mounts. I think that's what's mounting. I can't be sure. And now, he's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
Well, sir, this is news of Inspectors General from uh, from the people who bring you Inspectors General. First up, billions of dollars in U.S. and international aid for Afghanistan security forces are at risk. No kidding. Because the ministries that manage the money aren't preventing waste and corruption. Now, this is not from the Special in- Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. This is from the Inspector General of the Pentagon. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Afghanistan is too corrupt and wasteful for the Pentagon. Quote, future direct assistance funds are vulnerable to increased fraud and abuse because the Afghan government has had numerous contract award and execution irregularities, unquote, and procurement law violations. The report is labeled for official use only, so I'm not really using it. I'm, I'm calling your attention to it and then ignoring it. That's not really a use. The Afghan National Security Forces remain dependent on U.S. and allied financing as foreign in, uh, troops depart. The Pentagon has provided $3.3 billion in payments directly to Afghan ministries since October 2010. An additional $13 billion in such direct military aid is projected through 2019. Why do you just flush it down the toilet and skip the middle end? The audit bolsters previous assessments by the Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction that the country's defense and interior ministries aren't ready to manage the funds going to the military. The ministries did not adequately develop, award, execute, or monitor countries, uh, contracts funded with U.S. direct assistance, said the Pentagon's Inspector General. That's right. Too wasteful for the Pentagon. Get, wrap, wrap, your, wrap your pretty little head around that. Many State Department employees are not saving their emails for the public record as required by the government, the State Department's Inspector General concluded in a report with a timely release of this past week. The Inspector General's report found that of the one billion emails sent by State Department officials in 2011 under Hillary Clinton's secretaryship, only about 61,000 were actually kept for records. So when Hillary Clinton said, even though she didn't keep, uh, uh, she didn't keep her emails on a government server, uh, but she addressed them to people at .gov, so they had to be saved. No, says the State Department, not. It's not clear how many of the one billion were supposed to be saved for records, but weren't. According to the report, department employees have not received adequate training or guidance on their responsibilities for using those systems to preserve record record emails, which could in part explain Clinton's email mishap. She didn't receive the adequate training. Despite a 2009 upgrade in the State Department system used to preserve emails, the report found that there still wasn't enough oversight of the function. Some employees were under the impression that record emails, that is to say, emails of public records that become public records, were only a convenience. They had not understood that some emails were required to be saved as records. Other employees didn't create such emails because they do not want to make the email available in searches or fear that this availability would inhibit debate about pending decisions. Federal emails are required to be saved for the public record if they are related to policy. To fix the problem, the Inspector General recommended abolishing e- No. Annual reviews of record email, additional training to identify official record emails, guidance for employees on their record-keeping duties, and the creation of an oversight committee to advise on the issue. So that's, that's the word from the Inspector General. And that is news of the Inspector Generals. But Inspectors General. 
But, uh, of course, this is a big story. A lot of hoo-ha about it. A lot of the Sunday Yak shows bloviating about it. Um, the, um, the Sunday Times of London, owned by Rupert Murdoch, uh, throws an interesting light on this in uh, saying that one of the people who advised Hillary Clinton on uh, using her private server for her email rather than the State Department uh, service was uh, the woman she's described as if she had more than one daughter, this would be her other daughter, Huma Abedin. You may be familiar with her name. She's the wife of Anthony Weiner. Same one. Yeah. Isn't this a small world or what? And uh, she's a close advisor to Hillary Clinton and apparently was one of the two people advising her, use this, use your own server. Huma, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you'll be hearing a lot more about her, predicts the Times of London, owned by Rupert Murdoch. But uh, that's for a later date. Anyway, Hillary Clinton did give, finally, after eight days of this story being a story, a press conference this week to explain why she used um, her private email address, her own email address and her private server, for her uh, official emails, as well as her personal ones. Um, And this is some of what she said. As I said in my remarks, um, looking back, uh, it would have been probably, uh, you know, smarter to have used uh, two devices. But I have uh, absolute confidence that everything that could be in any way uh, connected to work is now in the possession of the uh, State Department. And I have to add, even if I'd had two devices, uh, which is obviously permitted, many people do that, you would still have to put the responsibility where it belongs, which is on the official. So um, I did it for convenience, and I, uh, now looking back, think that it might have been smarter uh, to have those two devices from the very beginning. Uh, You know, imagine my confusion, because I have have multiple devices. She's apparently, according to the Times of London, uh, said at a tech conference that she does have uh, four devices, a mini iPad, an iPad, an iPhone, and a BlackBerry. That's two times two devices. But I, strangely enough, I have three email accounts on the same device, and they don't talk to each other. They don't leak, as far as I know. Anyway, we have her assurance that um, next time this comes up, she'll use two devices.
more I don't want your pity I had that before I don't make excuses I did what I did I've got nothing to hide Till release what I hid One phone for business One for my life One is a leader One is a wife Avoid all the hassle Avoid all the gotchas Like two sets of keys It's like wearing two watches
This is Le Show from London, and now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend the Atom. I've never been able to make out your color. Yeah, we live in a colorblind society, don't we? No, we don't. Um, by the way, our friend the Adam, that phrase, apparently was originated by Walt Disney. Isn't that nutty? No. Deadline, Fukushima, a de- an estimated 747 tons of contaminated rainwater leaked from mounds that surround the area housing storage tanks for radioactive water at the Fuk number 1 plant. TEPCO said what, Tuesday, in celebration of the Olympics... No, it wasn't for that. No, it wasn't. Rainwater inside the area contained up to 83,000, 83, no, 8,300 becquerels per liter. You know where the comma is? Yes, I do. A beta particle emitting radioactive substances such as strontium-90, according to TEPCO officials. That's my favorite strontium. 90? Mm-hmm. The leaked water is believed to have seeped into the ground, the official said, adding it's unlikely that any of the water made its way into the sea. Well, the ground's okay. Nothing lives there, right? Not anymore. The leaks were found in two locations between the artificial mounds and the ground in the nuclear power plant where the unprecedented triple meltdown occurred in 2011. TEPCO initially put the amount of leaked water, rainwater at 400 tons. That was later revised to 747. In honor of the airplane? I don't think so. Dayline Plymouth, Massachusetts. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission's bottom-line assessment of the Pilgrim nuclear power plant is more work to do. Not enough progress at Pilgrim? You could say that. I did. After its recent end-of-cycle performance review, which evaluated quarterly performance indicators at the plant, along with inspection results and enforcement actions during all of last year. The findings are classified by color from green for very low safety to white, yellow, then red. Uh Uh-oh. Red. No, I'm just listing the, num- the, the colors for you. The plant's 
ratings pushed Pilgrim into what the NRC called the degraded cornerstone column of its action matrix during much of 2014. The uh, inspector's work was completed last month. The NRC's answer was no, it cannot be removed from that degraded status. The company's problem identification, root cause evaluation, and corrective action plans were adequate, but the report identified deficiencies in the implementation of corrective action plans, as well as in Pilgrim's understanding of the causes of the issues. Well, you don't need to understand causes to fix things, do you? Just get a hammer. You need to know why the nail's there? Pacific Gas and Electric Company... You're doing hardware advice now? No. Pacific Gas and Electric Company replaced $842 million worth of equipment at the heart of the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant without first making sure the new gear could pass a vital seismic safety test required in the license for the facility is all the thing that would be required, according to the San Francisco Chronicle. Are you starting? No, I was just thinking... Starting in 2008, PG&E swapped out the plant's old steam generators and reactor vessel heads without evaluating whether the replacements could withstand a major earthquake on the Hosgree Fault just three miles away and a simultaneous loss of cooling water within the reactors. PG&E evaluated each scenario, the earthquake and the loss of coolant, separately, although Diablo's license requires the two be considered together. The Diablo is in the details. I didn't say that. PG's critics, PG&E's critics have often accused the company of overstating the plant's strength and underestimating the seismic threats it faces. Earthquake safety has been a concern of the plant ever since the fault. The Hosgree fault was discovered in 1971, just happening to be three years after the plant was constructed, before construction began. Diablo Canyon can withstand a major earthquake striking on multiple nearby faults at once, according to a report that PG&E filed with federal regulators. The uh, NRC instructed all plant operators to do that review after Fook. This came just days after federal seismologists greatly increased the odds that a major earthquake magnitude 8 or higher will strike California in the next 30 years. Don't get excited. You're not in California. The U.S. Geological Survey now says the state stands a 7% chance of suffering such a quake in the next three decades, up from the previous estimate of 4.7%. Hey, here's good news. China helped build two reactors in Pakistan, which came online in uh, the last few years. More recently, it's decided to double the size of the plant at Chashma with two additional reactors under construction. It's also constructing a new power plant near Karachi. China's plans face global criticism. Well, it doesn't. The problem is that Pakistan is not a signatory to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which should disqualify it for any international help in building nuclear power plants. The Nuclear Suppliers Group, the coalition of nuclear technology exporting countries who banded together to create guidelines and norms around the sale of nuclear technology. They got a norms there? In order to ensure its safe use. Why not the Denny's while they're at it? While guarding against the spread of nuclear weapons capabilities. One of the core tenets of the Nuclear Suppliers Group is not to trade nuclear technology to countries that have not signed up to the treaty. Pakistan is one of the four remaining holdouts in the Non-Proliferation Treaty. The other three are India, South Sudan, and Israel. That's why China's decision to build nuclear reactors in Pakistan has received criticism. China, China is a member of the NSG. It's defying the group's own guidelines on nuclear sales. 
U.S. intelligence from the 1990s found China was likely a principal supplier to Pakistan for its undeclared nuclear weapons program. Food in Fukushima. You're changing the subject. I am. Researchers have accumulated and analyzed reams of data about food from Fukushima. Uh, according to Wired magazine, a protective system stopped even potentially contaminated food from getting to the public. Extensive decontamination, monitoring, and regulations have made food from around Fukushima perfectly safe, says Wired. Yet fear persists. Well, fear persists, call your doctor. No, that's pain. A relatively high level of radioactivity was detected in ditch water around the Fuk nuclear plant. TEPCO has not pinpointed the cause of that contamination. The tanks store, you know, highly radioactive water. No leaks have been found in them. They don't know why it's in the ditch. Beginning in fiscal 2015, TEPCO plans to begin removal of fuel assemblies from one of the storage pools at Fuk. Work to begin emptying the number three reactor pool of assemblies has been slowed due to the extensive damage the reactor suffered from a hydrogen explosion. You don't want those. TEPCO initially planned to take out the 35-ton piece of equipment used to exchange fuel assemblies. This month has postponed the procedure until April. High radiation levels in the number three reactor building are another obstacle. It's a speed bump. Excel energy rate payers in the Minnesota area. It's a state. And investors will share the financial pain of more than $400 million in cost overruns on a five-year upgrade of the nuclear power plant in Monticello, Minnesota. They've got a Monticello there. Yeah, apparently they have a law all over the place. The Minnesota Public Utilities Commission decided that Excel can collect from ratepayers all $748 million it spent to boost output and extend the life of the reactor built in the 1970s. But commissioners voted not to allow Excel to connect, collect any profit on the cost overruns. You can recover those costs, you just can't get a profit on them, said Commissioner Dan Lipschutz. Schultz. Excel wanted to recover its full investment along with its usual regulated rate of return, just under 10%. That sounds fair. No. The latest coal snap has delivered a troubling surprise at the Public Service Enterprise Group's nuclear Salem Hope Creek reactor complex in Delaware. Discovery of radioactive tritium old friend tritium in the snow and ice outside a hope creek no it's new jersey actually building at levels 500 times higher than federal water quality standards it was the second highest concentration reported in any tritium leak and pollution incident nationwide congratulations Mm -hmm. and the details of hungary's deal with russia to expand its only nuclear power plant oh we're looking forward to that will remain secret for 30 years after new legislation approved this week the Hungarian legislation will keep under wraps both the business and technical details of the agreement under which Russia's Rosatom will build two new reactors for Hungary. The measure says the Hungarian government is needed for national security and is in line with similar guidelines in other European countries. If you don't have anything to hide, hide it. Clean, cheap, safe, too clean to meter. Our friend, the Atom. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Lots of apologies this week. Dateline 
Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Capital Area Transit System CEO Bob Mirabito released a statement of apology this week after his comments last week on a podcast reviewed by many as racially insensitive. During the interview, he said some people in Baton Rouge refuse to ride buses because most of the bus drivers are African-Americans. Katz is actually 97, 95% African-American, and unfortunately our demographics don't match Baton Rouge. I would have to have a workforce that matches the demographics of Baton Rouge because I think there are some people out there who may not ride our buses because they don't like the color of an operator's skin. Now he says, I apologize. It was never my intention to offend anyone, and I'm sorry that my comments on a recent podcast have distracted our community from our continued push to move our transit system forward. Dayline Bucharest, Romania. Romanian officials were left red-faced after Germany's foreign minister was handed a brochure with a map of France this week. The foreign minister received the gift from Romanian counterpart at the end of a news conference to mark 135 years of diplomatic relations coming to an end. No. Romania's foreign ministry later apologized, saying it received the brochure in the morning containing the regrettable technical error, the colors of the German flag contained within the map of France from the national news agencies. The news agency later apologized to both the Germans and Romanians for the mix-up. Dale at Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte Hotel has apologized for levying a 15% service charge for lounge patrons during a black college basketball tournament last month. The hotel, the Ritz-Carlton in Charlotte, said that because of the size of end, it added the extra charge for lobby beverage ser- service, but the hotel did not, not respond when asked if such charges were added for other events. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has met with the chairman of the Israel Airports Authority Workers Committee following an election ad on his behalf that compared unions to Hamas. Netanyahu took responsibility for the content in the video. He apologized to the workers in Israel and to everyone who was hurt by the content of the video. He may not be winning this election, apologizing and speaking to Congress. Vogue's style editor at large, Elizabeth von Thurn und Taxis, has issued a mea culpa after coming under fire for posting an Instagram photo of a homeless person reading the fashion magazine. The 32 year old German princess, they have princesses in Germany still. What? Was called out for the tasteless photo. She, uh, her tweet said, Paris is full of surprises, and Vogue magazine readers even in unexpected corners! Exclamation point. Commentators were quick to slam her, saying the snap was cruel and in poor taste. She later deleted the picture. She defended herself and then apologized. I wanted to extend my sincerest apologies for the offense my post has caused. I guess she just went vogue. An all-male Harvard club is facing criticism over a sexually suggestive party invitation that university administrators say raises concerns about sexism and bigotry at Harvard. Members of the Speed Club canceled a pajama-themed party at their house amid backlash over an email video depicting scantily clad women. Members of the club apologized in the college paper. There'll be more college apologies coming up. North Korea's diplomat to Bangladesh has been forced to apologize after a senior colleague was caught (laughs) red-handed attempting to smuggle gold into the country last week. Sun Young Nam, first secretary of the North Korean embassy, left Bangladesh having been apprehended earlier this month trying to bring almost 60 pounds of gold worth about a million four into the country. The North Korean ambassador apologized for the incident. 
He had uh, dental. He needed a lot of fillings in these. Magnolia High School in Houston, Texas, has apologized to Houston Zoo after a photo of a student allegedly harassing a jaguar was posted to Twitter. Youngsters from Magnolia High School are accused of jumping into the elephant cage and breaking into a bird exhibit and plucking feathers off wild birds. They initially tried to, uh, uh, allegedly tried to touch a jaguar after entering the endangered animal's enclosure. So they're smart kids. Let's go into the jaguar enclosure. What do you think? Magnolia High School principal Jeff Springer issued a sincere apology to the zoo. Which are the wild animals, anyway? Dayline Indianapolis, the Department of Veterans Affairs, took another hit this week as news surfaced. An email had been circulated to staffers at a VA hospital in Indianapolis making fun of the mental health problems suffered by returning combat victims. The social worker Robin Paul apologized for the humor I would like to sincerely apologize for the email message. I take full responsibility for the poor judgment. I hold all veterans in the highest regard and am deeply remorseful for any hurt this may have caused. She was trying to be humorous. Humor from amateurs, ladies and gentlemen, always a good idea. After being expelled from the University of Oklahoma for racist speech, one member of the SAE fraternity issued an apology. The parents of the second student did the same. A Republican state senator in Maine apologized on the Senate floor Wednesday for what Democrats called bigoted racist remarks he posted on his Facebook page, including one that implied President Obama is related to members of a terrorist group. The comments by Senator Michael Willett of Presque Isle on race, Islam, immigration, and the president drew national attention. He apologized for sharing a post that criticized Obama's handling of Islamic State, suggesting the president would deal with the group, quote, at the family reunion. Unquote. Dateline Lansing, Michigan, a Republican lawmaker apologized this week after referring to, Cal- referring to California as the land of fruits and nuts in a speech on the floor of the Michigan House. It's a play on words, but everybody knows it's a derogatory term to refer to gay people, said one of the two openly gay members of the Michigan legislature. Univision has fired host Rodner Figueroa after he made a derogatory comment comparing Michelle Obama to the Planet of the Apes characters. Yes, we are, yes, ladies and gentlemen, living in a post-racial America. An owner of a sports website apologized this week after one of its commentators used the term firewater in describing how supporters of an American Indian boys high school basketball team would celebrate its first-round victory at the state tournament. And those would be the apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now, very quickly, news from outside the bubble before we uh, get out of here. Since the end of uh, 2011 NATO-backed war that toppled uh, Mr. Gaddafi, Muammar Gaddafi to you, Libya has fragmented, reporting the uh, independent newspaper, with two rival governments and their allied armed gangs vying for power. Nascent democracy has been supplanted by a system of repression and fear. Militias have become the most powerful players in a country devoid of the rule of law, of a national army, or a police force. Anyone opposing them, be they politicians or civilians, is silenced often at gunpoint. That's the new Libya, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure they're very grateful to NATO right about now. News from outside the bubble. It is 
a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. You're welcome, Libya. Anytime. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next time, next week, at the same time, over these same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. You send 440 cable system to Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, on the mighty 104 in Berlin. Available around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived, harryshare.com and kcsn.org. Available as a free podcast at WWNO.org, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, iTunes, and TuneIn.com, or the TuneIn app. And it'd be just like using two devices. If you agree, you join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, in exile at Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead, Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans, and Adrian Bodenham here at this crazy thing called Global in London for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this broadcast, a playlist of the music heard here on, and Cars I Talk t-shirts, all available at harryshare.com. And yours truly, me, I'm yours truly. I'm the Harry Shearer on Twitter, too. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from London.